Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me today is TV editor Allison Keene. Yakaras. And deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about Game of Thrones. The series wrapped up last night with the, uh, of course, you'll be listening to this on Tuesday, but it wrapped up Sunday night with the episode The Iron Throne. And uh, I don't think this season was controversial at all, folks. I think this it went very smoothly. Everyone was very happy. And I think it's going to be a, a short conversation. About I, don't how... think, I don't think it was controversial. I think everyone was united in hate. Almost universally. <laughs> <laughs> the discussion was very short. It was bad. <laughs> the end. Yes, but let's, you know, let's, we're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into sort of the problems the show ran into in its final seasons. Uh, we're going to talk about the show as a, as a whole, um, all eight seasons of it. Um, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about its uh, upcoming spinoffs. And then we'll talk about TV shows we do like. So, so there's that. <laughs> so if you're like a diehard, like, you know, right or wrong Game of Thrones person you probably won't, aren't gonna like this episode so much and uh you, you might want to stop listening i'm just saying <laughs> just uh, goodbye just, I, really, I, I don't think everybody hated this season i did not hate this season and i know other people who were like well hate is a strong word but i think there was a lot of disappointment and frustration from I was, a lot of corners yes i think that um i, I also want to start with the disclaimer we've talked about game of thrones many times on this podcast <laughs> over the years usually angrily um especially in the last few years but i think that it's it's worth remembering that this is a show regardless of how it ended which i didn't love how it ended but um not the story itself but just the way it played out um this was such a unique cultural juggernaut that the likes of which we may never see again on TV because there's so many different places that shows are happening and the way people are watching and all of that. So the one thing about Game of Thrones, I enjoyed complaining about it week by week with everyone else. I just enjoyed talking about the show with everyone else because that rarely happens anymore. They were all watching the same thing at the same time. So, and frankly, you know, the show has given us so much to talk about one way or the other that I think any show that makes that much of an impact, um, love it or hate it, is worthwhile. I do think that this final season, and maybe even last season as well, are going to keep it from being considered one of the greatest shows of all time. I think that its um, its contributions to the TV landscape, as far as fantasy goes, as far as spectacle goes, as far as like the scope of a show like this, I mean, cinematic movie making every week, um, that cannot be denied. And that will obviously earn it a place in the TV canon. But I think that it, what absolutely kills me, and I think this is where all the frustration comes from, is that there was no reason for this season to be as short as it was, but the showrunners wanted to F off and do Star Wars, and that, to me, is just unforgivable. If it was, if it was a situation where they were completely still to so totally dedicated to the show, they were obviously putting their all into it and not explaining character motivations in an after-episode video every week, I'd be like, you know what? This is a tricky thing to wrap up, and I get it. But I don't feel that way <laughs> at all. And I don't feel like they, any kind of triumph was earned in this finale. But I am curious... Um, for you guys, just kind of uh, almost like a quick hits. What did you like the best and what frustrated you the most in this 
we'll start with, I guess, this episode, and we can sort of expand out on the season. But as you're watching it, what kind of hit you as like your your best and worst moments? Uh, I mean. I was like relatively fine on the finale, but I think my biggest thing is I didn't have a lot of strong feelings about it. And uh, I mean, it, it it just kind of ended and I was like, all right, time to go to bed. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't like the Lost series finale where, and I think there, I think the, I think the easiest comparison to Game of Thrones and what it's going to feel like in the Pantheon is going to be Lost because it's yes. a, Lost was a show that was pretty critically acclaimed divisive the last few seasons people got mad at and the series finale was incredibly divisive and uh, like a large majority of people really did not like it it's still but it was also a show that shorthand wise you could crack a joke in 30 rock about desmond or about not penny's boat and people would get it like culturally Mm -hmm. it made a massive impact and i think game of thrones is going to be the same way um this final episode things i liked about it i really i I mean, I know it's kind of funny, Matt. You wrote a, an editorial early in the season about how the the show has like a Tyrion problem, but I feel like they did finally give Peter Dinklage some really great stuff to do in these last couple of episodes, uh, and I thought he I thought he knocked it out of the park. I think every opportunity that Tyrion had to be on screen um, in these last few episodes, I really enjoyed. I thought that uh, you know that scene between they, so the highlights for me of these past two episodes were uh or i guess three episodes the scene between Tyrion and Varys, where they're talking about um you know what is a good ruler what is just what is worthy what is morally right like what's the right thing to do here which matt really really wrote a really great editorial about why that was great but also like had a major problem because daenerys was clearly not a good ruler um and then the Tyrion and Jamie scene from last episode where he's saying his goodbye, that really like that's kind of one of the only moments of this season that emotionally affected me, which is not yeah. a great sign. Um and then in this episode, Tyrion uh, you know, uh finding Jamie and Cersei under the rocks, and then his really great conversation with uh John, I thought. Um that's that's a Game of Thrones that I love. The like a uh, fifteen minute scene between two characters talking. And, and that's, that's when the show used to be really smart and dense yeah. and like you had to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that's like sort of fallen by the wayside. No. Yeah, yeah. We didn't get enough of that in the, these last couple seasons. I think they got kind of overwhelmed by the spectacle of it all. Um, I mean, what else did I, the rest of it, I was kind of like, all right. Like when, when John and uh, Daenerys were like kissing, I was like, all right, one of them's going to stab the other in three, two, there it is. So like that, that was not like as impactful to me as I think it could have been if you had played it out. Cause I was like, clearly, wait, are you so, saying that Dan Weiss and David Benioff are not great directors? <laughs> How dare you, sir? Or perhaps even not great writers <laughs> that would have left such a big moment, like a very obvious trope. Oh yeah. That was not yeah. great. Um, trying to think what else i like actively liked like i enjoyed the idea of a lot of things i enjoyed the idea of that council at the very end yeah um you know coming together and deciding like what do we go from where do we go from here but then it's like oh really you're gonna like make an edmure tully joke like really you have an hour 22 minutes for this final episode and you're really gonna waste (laughs) about 45 seconds on a joke for edmure tully (laughs) My favorite thing about the council scene, which was definitely one of my major lowlights of probably the whole series, but most especially this episode, was that it boiled down to everybody being everybody there just being like, oh, 
I'm too tired for any more drama. Just like do what you want. Like it was, just, it was no like planning. There was no like, here's what my region wants besides Sansa and the North, you know, they ignored Dorne, they ignored the veil, they ignored everything else. And they're just like, honestly, like fine, Tyrion, whatever. Bran can be king, fine. And Sansa's like, well, I don't want to bend the knee or whatever. And they're like, fine, whatever. Like nobody, it was just such a like. Everyone's like, I got it. I don't want to prolong this meeting. If I, if I wait any longer, they're going to be out of breakfast burritos down at the Red Keep. I got to get moving. Yeah, Graymore was like, we've kept Jon Snow and Tyrion prisoner for reasons unknown to anyone. <laughs> and like, has Grey Worm been ruling? That was in the, just a very small, again, like, there's just so many little, this was such a small thing, but to me very indicative of, again, like this last season, this last episode. When Jon confronts Grey Worm, when Grey Worm has got, gone all like, mad worm on the situation and is just ready to like kill all the Lannister people he's rounded up, you know? And John is like, I can't deal with you. I'm going to go see Danny. And he, as he like walks away from gray worm. And then as he's walking up the steps to the red keep, there's gray worm again. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Like, was he not just right? Like that teleportation aspect of everyone just zip, zipping everywhere. Uh, like I'm in Winterfell, I'm in King's Landing. I'm like, you know, it's just that whole thing that people have been complaining about for the last few seasons. But it was particularly bad in this one. And just that moment of Grey Worm, like, it's like, surprise, bitch, I'm here too. Like, it was just so lazy. And I just, uh, anyway. So so my, my, my uh, for the finale, my favorite scene and least favorite scene were the same scene. So, <laughs> because I'm difficult that way. So I agree. Like it was really great to have a long scene with, with Tyrion and John, you know, and Tyrion is really trying to make the case for like the, you know, you're the only person that can do something about this. You're it's all on you. Like this is, you know, this isn't about leading an army. This is about, you know, the, this is the future and you're the only person that can do something about it. It's also the worst scene because you should not have a another one character explaining the actions of another character so that they'll retroactively make sense. Like to and me, also to have like the two male characters yes, talk about how the yes. female character is crazy. She's totes crazy, y'all. She's totes you crazy. Kill her. Here's the thing: all, all, why not just take Tyrion's lines and put them in Daenerys's mouth? In terms yes. of, she's like, I'm the one who freed the slaves. I'm the one who did this. I like let her build, give her a monologue, let her build, let John see that what she's seeing is not the same thing. And instead, you have Tyrion like, no, let me break it down for you. Daenerys is crazy. You got to <laughs> stab her. Like, and also, they said this. They based this on a conversation she had in Dothraki, a language neither of them speak. So, so the fact that it actually boiled down to Tyrion being like, did you hear her tone? She sounds no. crazy. You should kill her. <laughs> it sounded like gibberish. I don't know what she said. <laughs> Everyone John in the just, audience just seemed really hyped, though. Winterfell, and he was like, what? What was that? But he didn't Tyrion, ask her. He Tyrion didn't speaks a little Dothraki. He, oh, remember, well. he tried and like broken whatever. I, I believe that Tyrion understood what she was saying. Oh, Adam, you sweet summer child. <laughs> I mean, there are other valid criticisms. But there, of I mean, but here's the other thing. Like, the thing is, when you rush all of this stuff, right? You rush all of it. None of it makes a fucking bit of sense. Because, I mean, the, really, the biggest problem is, like, we're like, oh, we can do this in 13 episodes. No, you couldn't. You needed one more season at least. But, like, think about all the questions that, like, okay, so we know that there are zombies and dragons in the world. Is anyone going to... What if they come back? No, not a problem. 
okay. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because they destroyed all the fantasy lore in the whole world. Like, just, just not... Like, we just erased everything. Like, yeah, the there is no lore. fantasy lore, maybe in the West. The witch uh, uh, got old and, and fell down. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was... Okay. Yeah. Wait. wait, there wait. Was... So, th- th- there's that part, right? What happened to all the Dothraki? They're like, yeah, let's go kill some things. And then it's like, your queen's dead. And we know that, like, the Unsullied is like, yes, we will get on boats and go to Noth. What happened to the Dothraki? Did they, like, get back on their own boats? And were like, yeah, back to the, you know, back to Essos to, to, to tear it up. By the way, our entire way of life is gone. Because you killed all the Vias Dothraki. And well, I was under the impression that most of the Dothraki went on that suicide mission in the Battle of Winterfell. But there were still Winterfell. some left. There were like, there was like <laughs> turns a... out they didn't. Act, they forgot that they all died because they were all back for that final battle. And then, and when Daenerys was talking to them, and the there were just as many of them as there were Unsullied. There were actually tons of Dothraki in the end. I thought Where there were more go? in the end than there were at the beginning. What do they do? <laughs> what is their job? Like, what's life for them in Westeros? Oh, my God. What? Yeah, no one. that would have been that would have been such an interesting power move for, let's say, the Prince of Dorne, whose name we don't even know. Dorne, like, everything about Dorne is very similar to Essos. Like, if there was a way that he, like through, let's say, multiple episodes of, like, figuring things out, had, like, absorbed the Dothraki army, and then Dorne was like, we're doing our own thing, because we have, like, there were so many possibilities of things that could have happened that didn't, because there was no time. It's like, we can't even spend the time to introduce you to everybody who's on this council. Like, I'm pretty sure some of you may recognize a few of these people, but there are also some sort of, like, randos sprinkled in here, but apparently they get a vote for who gets to be king, not that it matters. (laughs) Because it was very, very convenient that they were all like basically people that the Starks knew personally that were on this council. <laughs> like right. there was no one there that was like from parts unknown or like. But th- th- does Karth get a vote? What's up with Karth? I don't uh, know. You mean well, the Prince of Dorne? No, we didn't know his name, and no one else there seemed to know his name. He didn't say anything the whole time, except oh, for like, sure, Bran can. Yeah, but it's like, sure, Bran can be can be. Uh, Karth is in Essos. So they they don't get a vote, but you know what? I wouldn't have been surprised if someone there from Karth had voted because it didn't seem to be a very tight election system that they had here. <laughs> there were three Starks and an Onion Knight who all voted. That doesn't <laughs> yeah. seem right. You, you almost Stark. expect to steal a joke from South Park. Someone's like, I was told there would be punch and pie. And they- <laughs> 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 well, but, uh, but to go back to the finale specifically, though, and, and to the point about rushing, I feel like, I mean, there are – there are many issues with rushing this final season. I feel like the most egregious is Danny's final scene yes. where she is like lovingly touched, which side note. Okay. Does anyone remember that like fever dream she had in like season one where she walked mm-hmm. through the halls and like saw yes, the iron. I rewatched that scene. Okay. Yeah. Is it, is it the same as in the finale where the roof is gone and it's like snowing almost? Yep. Okay. So, they and then she go, but then she goes into a hut with with um jason momoa and he's like with their baby and he's like stay with me and she's like i can't and yeah yeah she's like i have to go burn a bunch of innocent i have to go burn people to death because it's my destiny okay i thought i thought so but i i didn't have time to go back and or i didn't remember to go back and watch it but i thought that was curious that like they have known essentially visually from season the beginning of season one like okay danny's gonna burn down king's landing and you know that's where she's I mean, you, that wasn't particularly shocking when you consider that she is a 
Targaryen with one thing on her mind and three dragons at her disposal. Like, I yeah. would have thought she would have sacked King's Landing a long ago. Like, the fact that it took this <laughs> long, frankly. <laughs> but I think that also it's interesting that, um, Matt, you've mentioned in the past that <laughs> the Battle of Winterfell saw all of these major characters facing down the literal embodiment of death. No one really brings up the fact, by the way, that, like, there was an entire army of the dead that could have completely destroyed Westeros after they were defeated. Like no one brings it up again. Like, well, whatever, you know, we, we killed them. It's fine. But that in a way that really should have been the final moment, right? Like the, the battle for King's landing is one thing, but, but to then move to that would have brought everything. I think, back around in a way that made so much more sense than it did. Like to just dismiss that to me was one of the most egregious things that the show did, but you know, Oh, well, like it's like, it didn't matter in the end. And that to me, like the reaction, I think Adam, you said you just didn't really feel anything after the finale. That seemed to be everyone's initial reaction. I just felt exhausted watching it. And then when it was done, I was just kind of shrugging going, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then I got angry later. <laughs> I really started to think about it, which is kind of how the Lost finale went for me too. Because again, like what happened in this finale wasn't horrible. Like when you boil it down to the last like ten minutes or whatever, you know, Arya goes off and John goes back to the the wildlings, the free folk, you know, which is where he always felt at home. And Sansa, who always wanted to be a monarch, becomes one um, and a good one, I think, would be a good ruler. And even Bran taking the Iron Throne, I think, like, with some more explanation and an actual council of the lords and ladies of Westeros could have made sense. Like, any of those things on their own, I'm fine with. But none of them, except maybe Sansa, nothing else made sense. <laughs> because, as we pointed out, they didn't build anything. There was no emotional resolution. And I think, you know, the actors did everything they could to give that to us. Like they really, they tried very hard, but the material was just like, no time for this. Like got to hit the next plot point. And that is why Daenerys death to me was the worst moment of that episode because it felt like it meant nothing and it should have meant everything, you know? Well, and I watched it with my fiance who's only, she saw the pilot and then she's watched like a smattering of episodes this final season with me. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, I didn't even cry when Daenerys died and I cry at everything. And I was like, I felt nothing. Like, no. this is a character I've followed since season one. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, he killed. It's supposed to be, right. it's supposed to be tragic, but there's no room for tragedy. The time it takes between, so it's about, I, I actually clocked it. I'm like, oh, how long is it going to take them to kill Daenerys? <laughs> Because we know it's coming. And I'm like, oh. You mean after she went full Hitler? After she went, yeah. Because yes, you never want to yes. go full Hitler. You don't even really want to go partially Hitler. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll go so far. Don't go any Hitler. But I, I definitely don't go. go. This feels a little third Reiki. Yeah. Don't, I would definitely say don't go full Hitler. It turns out she has giant black banners with red <laughs> insignias. Yeah. Not great. Um but I would say it takes about it takes forty minutes for her f from King's she burns King's Landing to being shanked, and that that's it. And that's and she get you, you she has two scenes. She has a scene where she's like, "I'm gonna burn it all," and you're like, "Oh God, I hope she doesn't." And then <laughs> she has another scene with 
with Jon Snow, and she's like, are you sure you want to burn it all? And she's like, I'm going to burn it all. <laughs> and he's like, ah, I wish you hadn't said that. And he stabs her. she's not. She's not, which is what's so infuriating, is in that final scene, she's like, I want to show mercy. Like, I want to make everyone free. I want to break the wheel. And he's not like, okay, explain to me how that works. Like, let's go through it. Yeah. What does it yeah. do? Like, oh, well, I can infer what that means, which means I have to stab you in the heart. Well, it's sort of like, like, I mean, like, like when you say liberate, do you actually mean burn to death? <laughs> Like, can we define this more specifically first? I mean, well, they don't sorry. have a conversation. Well, what nope. kind of world are you living in? That's the other thing. Because he, he, she's like, she's like, we get to choose the kind of world that we want. And he's like, but what about the people? And she's like, that's that's just my John Snow. Is he's like a fake British guy? He's like, what about the people? Is that she's like, they don't get to choose. And then he's like, oh, if only you'd been here for representative democracy. And I'm like, I've got bad news for you. Later in the episode, John, <laughs> because they still don't get representative democracy. It just goes back to the way that it was slightly different. I will I will tell you who I felt bad for in this episode. It was only one one thing, and that was Drogon. He I actually felt. I Bad. did when he when he nudged her little butt when he make making anything act like a dog is is such a cheap move and I will fall for it every time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's sleeping under the snow, and then it's like, oh, Jon Snow killed his mom, so he's lost two brothers, which they never addressed. This is a whole other issue. I could have an entire podcast episode talking about how the animals on the show have been done dirty by the writing, but the fact that like Daenerys, we never got a scene where she processes the death of her children. Like, lest we forget the dragons are her children. The dragons have relationships with her and also with each other, like, you know, familial relationships. That's never addressed. They die. And it's just like, "Mm," as if they were like a battleship or something. And I lost, I lost one of my planes. Right. Like, (laughs) darn it. Like, mm. and then, so also just like dragons, you know, like losing, they never properly address the fact that, Sarion was an undead dragon. Like that was never really like. How did the other two dragons feel about the fact that brother was a zombie? They never addressed this. And then in the end, Drogon's there, just like we don't know. And I, there have been so many good memes about this and the question of we don't know whether he understood the physical um, metaphor of the Iron Throne or if he just was like, "Mom was killed by something pointy. That's pointy. That dies." Like I, we don't know. It could it could go either way, frankly. But the fact that the show never even built that up or gave anything to us, and then he just scoops Danny up and flies off, I was like, <sighs> Drogon is a metaphor for how <laughs> the show, everything's been taken from us that we loved. And then the end, it's just like, F the throne, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I don't care anymore. Ugh. Well, and I think it, it just all comes back to what you said at the beginning, Allison, which is that it, it's it's rushed. They couldn't do it in 13 episodes. They needed – I think they needed a full other – I think they needed season seven and eight to be 10 episodes, and I think they needed another full season. So we go from the end of The Last of the Starks um, where you know Cersei refuses Danny's demand and Missandei gets killed and the bells begins and all of a sudden she's got bags under her eyes and her hair is unkempt and that's just meant to like it's just shortcuts it's all shortcuts mm-hmm. so it's like okay we're, we're just gonna show you that she's crazy now and she's in a bit of a weird headspace instead of spending two to three episodes of her slowly descending into madness this also goes to the Jamie Brienne thing like 
I can understand Jamie trying to live a life with Brienne and coming to the realization that he doesn't deserve it or that he wants to go back to Cersei, but doing it in one night or two nights or however long it is doesn't work. Like it just feels cheap. It feels like then what did it, what was even the point of him like getting with Brienne? If he's just like, Oh yeah, nope, never mind. I'm a piece of shit. I gotta go. Yeah, uh, they just they threw in some fan servicey stuff, which didn't need to be fan servicey. It very much worked in the narrative, but because they didn't spend any time with it, it just felt like here's this cameo thing you wanted, I guess. But anyway, back to the other stuff. <laughs> like, and it wouldn't be so jarring if it, if we hadn't been taught over the previous like what six seasons that that's how time in the show works, right. like. Game of Thrones is a show where Catelyn Stark will spend three episodes negotiating how to cross a bridge. Right. Or the Hound and Arya will spend an entire season traveling across Westeros. And so when we get to... And I still think that like one of the best episodes of the series, if not the best, is Winds of Winter, which is the series finale of season six. That's when Cersei blows up the Sept. Uh, I think the filmmaking in that episode is great. I think it just ends on a really, uh, really fascinating, interesting note. Cut to beginning of season seven and all of a sudden we're like teleporting everywhere because they're just trying to fast forward the story and you're breaking you're breaking what the rules of the show are and i think there are there are some ways that that can work in your favor but it didn't it did the characters no favors at all and it just led to a feeling of like dissatisfaction with the whole thing yeah Yeah. empty and i mean it's it's a disservice to your audience like that's the thing like you know, people can be like, oh, I can't believe the fans are so mad. I'm like, the fans stuck with it through, like, this show is not the show that it was. Like, and we're, al- and fans are allowed to be like, this is a different thing now. Like, I'm going to say, I'm, let me say something nice about Benny Offenweiss, because I'm going to say some mean things very soon. Which is that <laughs> in the early seasons, they show themselves to be very skilled at adaptation. The books yeah. are really big and dense. They have a lot going on. Like, Trying to like, I'm sure George R. R. Martin's like, of course they could be 13 seasons. I'm like, no, they fucking couldn't, George. We're not, you're not going to adapt every single thing that you wrote down. That's just not going to work. So I get like they, they made some cuts that were smart. Absolutely, yes. like they made changes. They even expanded some characters, like uh, Marjorie Tyrrell, who doesn't really have a lot to do or say in the books, and they really made her an interesting character. And that was good. That yeah. was a good thing. So they've done, like, I think it, when it came to taking someone else's work and adapting it down, they did a good job. But when it came time to be like, okay, now we're going to flip it. And you, I'm just going to give you bullet points of what happens in the all, all the way to the end. And you have to fill it in. <laughs> they totally dropped the ball. And not only did they drop the ball, but they overestimated their own talents. I, a lot, I think there's going to be a lot of speculation about why. This was only 13 episodes. And yeah. the least charitable reason is they got bored and tired and said, I want to fucking do Star Wars now. And but yeah. but I'm so we're so arrogant. We can't possibly hand this over to another showrunner to, yeah. to continue. Yeah. This. That's the thing. It's not like it's, it has to be us or no one. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Brian well, Cogman that's, is that's... right there. Brian Cogman, I'm sure, would be more than happy to be like, yeah, I'll be the showrunner and keep this train moving. And like, no offense to the cast, but like they've been able to juggle like movies and the show. Like the show does take yeah. a lot out of you, but they've been able to do both. And you could have kept this running for at least 
another season to really spread things out. And instead they were like, no, I know we've all been on this journey and that the fans expect us to really dive deep into the conversations between these characters and the way they interact and the politics and the reality. But what if we said, fuck all that threw dragon battles at them and said, and, and then fucked off to do star Wars. Wouldn't that be great? It's like, you know, the argument that here's the thing. I completely agree with the fact that showrunners, creators, artists, anytime they don't owe anybody anything as far as the story goes, right? Like their whatever story they want to tell, we don't have to like it. We don't have to like where it goes. That's their story. But we are owed competent <laughs> and cohesive storytelling at this point. I don't think that's too much to ask. That we are given a story that at least makes some sense, you know, and that actually makes good on the promises of the earlier seasons. And I don't mean that even in a a prophecy or lore sense, even though I personally, and this is one of the problems I have with Lost, is that Lost set up an entire mythology and lore that it completely ignored in the end and was like, it doesn't matter. That upset me because I was invested in that part of the show. And I understand if you weren't invested in that part of the show that that's not really a problem, that they dismissed it. The same is true with Game of Thrones. But I don't think that, and I don't know this, but I don't think that George R. R. Martin is setting up this entire fantasy world to be like, you know what, fantasy doesn't matter. Like, I think maybe it doesn't in the actual end game of the story, but it matters with how it gets there. And that's something that, to me, I have said since the beginning of this season, I guess, the series finale is going to show us what Weiss and Benioff really think Game of Thrones is about. And it's obviously not about the fantasy war. That much has been clear <laughs> for quite some time. They're not interested in that. As storytellers, they're not interested in that whatsoever. Um, what it came down to was spectacle and brothel jokes, which is part of Game of Thrones and a big part of Game of Thrones, but that's not all it is. And that is really what this final season felt like, was that that was all there was. was like you get a few little quips, and you're like, well, this feels like, like old thrones, like the conversations, but the conversations didn't make sense and they didn't really lead anywhere. <laughs> and then in between you had these massive spectacles, which were amazing. Like those episodes were outstanding. I liked the battle of Winterfell episode. I mean, I, I thought it was really, I mean, as far as the visuals went, I thought it was horrifying and, and tense and everything, but it felt hollow because there was no emotional work that was put in to fill in the gaps. So I, I I don't know if you guys feel the same way that like Weiss and Benioff ended the show by basically describing how they felt about the show, which is that they didn't really, I guess I want to say appreciate. Cause I don't, I don't know, you know what the, how they feel about things, but they didn't ultimately feel it was important. The same things that maybe fans felt were important. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I subscribe to that philosophy too, that series finales are where, it's the chance for the showrunners to tell us the story they've been telling all along. And sometimes that story doesn't match up with what fans wanted or appreciated. And like, that's fine. It's their right to tell the story that they want. Uh, This is just a very tricky scenario because it's based on source material they did not create and they're finishing someone else's story. Uh, And, you know, it remains to be seen how, how closely George R. R. Martin's version hues to this. He has publicly said that it's not very, it's not considerably different. Um, 
but it's just time. I mean, personally, like the battle episodes were never my favorite. Like Winds of Winter came on the heels of Battle of the Bastards, and I think Winds of Winter is far and away a better episode of television than Battle of the Bastards. Battle of the Bastards is like if, and I guess maybe it just comes down to taste. Like if that's what you want to watch, if you want to watch Jon Snow just get, just make terrible decision after terrible decision, which is just his mo. When people are like, "Hey, John, you have to go to the Night's Watch," he's like, mm, "Nah." I don't want to. I'm going to go north. But that, but that didn't start. The the dumbing down of Jon Snow began really in season seven. And the dumbing down of Daenerys, too. Because before that, he actually was quite savvy and a little bold in some of the choices that he made. And then he just kind of was like, mm, you know, like he just, because it didn't fit, I guess, whatever story they ultimately wanted to tell. Like, I guess he couldn't, they didn't want to be too heroic because then we'd be like, King Aegon Targaryen, I guess. Like, it just... Which to that end, does anyone care? Like, we've got to the series finale, and it's it's almost as if like this massive piece of information that was played as this huge reveal. It's like, ah, and it doesn't like Jon Snow Targaryen. What the fuck? We don't care. He's in prison. He's going on the Night's Watch. It's fine. Like no yeah, one cares. Like, the actual last Targaryen, like yeah. the actual like unification of the t- the two two of the most powerful uh, houses in. Westerosi history. I'm just like, man, it's gonna go hang out with free folk now. It's yeah, fine. that's because houses don't matter. In in they don't. they don't. Houses don't matter. Lore doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is spectacle. And you know, will you know these these sort of truncated character arcs? That really is the only thing that 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 has anything. And ultimately, I feel like Benioff and Weiss showed themselves to me not just you know, rushing the story, but kind of cowardly storytellers. And I, I mean, I wrote about mm-hmm. this uh, with the, uh, the battle of Winterfell, the long night, how few characters we actually cared about died in what was supposed to be a, a cataclysmic battle. Right. And like, you know, I, it's not like I'm rooting for characters. I like to die, but <laughs> you know what? The fact that you're not even going to kill fucking Podrick. Podrick doesn't do shit. <laughs> I love Podrick. <laughs> Podrick doesn't do shit. Potter, that's Sir Podrick to you. Yeah, Sir Podrick now pushes a fucking chair around. And, like that's <laughs> the end of like that's the end of Podrick's arc. And so to just be like, you could have killed Podrick, you could have killed Davos, like you could have you like those are characters that like I love, like they're really great. I don't want them to die like I don't want them to die, like I wanted like Joffrey to die. Like, of course, of course you want Joffrey to die. He's he's a little shit. But they just are they 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 couldn't pull the trigger like they were just really like I don't know and well that- and, and also in the past those deaths were part of a bigger plot right yeah. like no one's death was the be all end all it was all part of moving the pieces around on the board and then they just stopped killing people because I think they just stopped caring about moving those pieces around like it didn't matter to them anymore so you know like who cares if those people died because it didn't. <laughs> There, there was no point to it. Really. Yeah, so you might so as let's well just keep them around. Might as well keep them. Like, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, I, I was reminded a lot about that line from Into the Woods, which is that you know you're not good, you're just nice, and like that's what mm-hmm. Benioff and Weiss were too nice for the world that Martin created. Like George R. R. Martin created a very nasty, unforgiving world that had serious consequences, and it wasn't nihilistic, but it had serious consequences where bad guys could win, where good guys could fall. And Weiss and Benioff clearly wanted no part of that. 
they really did not were not comfortable with that because left to their own devices, they sort of were like, what if what if at the end of the day, all the nice characters win? <laughs> and like, how is it? like, if you're nicer than the other people, you get to win. I'm like, really? That's what you took from all of this shit? Like Littlefinger was a total asshole, but he really had a huge impact on the world by being an mm-hmm. asshole. Like he, 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 you know, he, you know, got over his skis there at the end, but, uh, you know, think about all of, all the things he did. If you were to like map out his plan, you'd be like, damn, he was really good at playing this game until he wasn't. It's funny because one of the theories a couple of weeks ago was that, you know, just like a crack theory or whatever, was that the whole show would just be a dream that Bran had while he was in a coma after being knocked out of the window. Right. And in a way it kind of was. Because the whole thing was just a weird revenge fantasy where Brandon ends up as king and Cersei and Jamie are dead. And it's like, <laughs> and he can fly. And so it's like, it kind of, it kind of was that in the end. But I think that that scene, of, that initial scene of Bran being shoved out the window by Jamie, that to me was the moment when I first watched the show, more than any other, more than Ned being beheaded or anything. It, that was the moment where I was like, okay, so we've got twin cest. And like a attempted child murder in one scene, and I just thought this show is really gonna like go there, <laughs> like okay, because anything could happen, and it was so casually violent. I loved that moment, if only because Jamie just kind of shrugs, attempts to kill a child, is just like the things I do for love. Like that sums up Game of Thrones to me. <laughs> like people are acting in their own self interest, and it's all about you know protecting themselves and just kind of being casually doing whatever they need to do to justify their power grabs, right? Um, which weirdly is something that the series finale of Veep did way better than Game of Thrones did in the end. But that, like, that is what made Game of Thrones really unique. So to your point, Matt, like, that that kind of thing just stopped. That just ended yeah. in these last two seasons. Like, we didn't get anything like that anymore. Um, people died, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't have that same motivation to it. It just had become almost sadistic instead without the, um, well, really the smarts behind it, you know, and like the the machinations and the realpolitik and all of that. Like all of that just kind of was wiped away, which after episodes like uh, The Long Night when, you know, I was upset that the Night King was dispatched that easily and everybody, not everybody, a lot of people said well, that's not what Game of Thrones is really about. It's really about the politics. It's really about the, you know... Well, the finale showed us that it wasn't in the end. No, it wasn't. Because that stuff wasn't addressed either. That council scene <laughs> show, was, a, was a giant middle finger to the politics. Because if the politics... <laughs> were, joke. If the politics really did it matter, was. that scene would have been an entire episode of just people yes. arguing and being like, what about my self-interest? What, is, what do we get out of this? What do we get out of this? Like, why does, why does the North get to be its own kingdom? Why can't we be our own kingdom? Why do, why, you know, what's Bran going to do for me? You know, like, how are we going to trust? Like, there'd be so many questions and yeah. everyone would be and, like, and, eh. Yeah. And instead it was just like, oh, aren't they chums? Like, aren't they good friends? Here's Bran, Kraken yeah. wise. With, like, with his, his Chekhovian crossbow that never went off. Yeah, you know? that didn't go anywhere. And also, can we talk about how Cersei was in like six scenes in the final season? Uh, <laughs> Just drinking wine and looking out the window. Man, Even if so, I was Lena Headey, I'd be mad. Well, I'd I was, be way I was, madder than, than uh, Amelia Clark. 
I was talking to my fiance about this. I was like, you know, like there were a lot of like, uh, you know, actors did interviews before the season started for like other projects and stuff. And I remember watching one at Sundance. Uh, I think it was Josh Horowitz was talking to Lena Headey and he was like, you know, uh, I know you can't say anything about the final season, but like, what was your reaction? And she was just kind of like, I can't tell you anything. Just very kind of flat face, and it was like, oh, she's being kind of a dick. But now I'm like, oh, they all knew it sucked. Like, they just have nothing to say. They're not going to be like, oh, it's so good, but I can't tell you anything. They're just like, I can't say anything. Best season ever. (laughs) (laughs) But like, they tried to warn us. What was it that what was it that Kit Herring he is funny, like he's a funny guy. And so I can see this being like he really just meant it sarcastically. But that interview Where he says, the season. If you could describe it in one word and he says disappointing. Yes. And then he then he kinda pauses because she's like, What? And he goes, Or epic. I mean, whichever. Like whatever. <laughs> but he's so deadpan, it's hard to tell. He is like he is a funny guy. So it could have just been him, but also he wasn't wrong. but amelia clark pointed like someone asked her like if you could change anything about the final season what would you add and she like had a long list of very great points and one of which was like more scenes with danny and cersei like don't you need like why was there not a scene where danny has sacked the city and she's got cersei in front of her and cersei is telling her you're just as bad as me like why is that is that not a conversation that happened why because who cares what women have to say? Because they're, they're, the, they're the, both the, crazy bitches. The, the medium simmer misogyny. <laughs> like, <laughs> boiling over in Game of Thrones. My word. Remember, like, was it, like, season six or whatever, where it was, like, girl power? <laughs> where they, like, introduced, like, Lyanna Mormont, and, like, Sansa well, was, like, taking yes, charge. Yes, queen! Uh, and, yeah. and to be fair to Cersei, I mean, in the end, because they had dumbed down John and Danny so much, Cersei was actually the most brilliant tactician in Westeros. Like, she always had plan after plan after backup plan. She had her own undead zombie like you know protector she had fortified herself up there in the red keep we were never told we were never given any indication what her actual plan was as a ruler like she just would drink wine and was like i might be having someone's baby i don't know like we'll see and it's like we never got a sense of who she really was as a ruler what her plans were and they could have been evil and selfish maybe she didn't really care but we she was never even given the chance to explain that and the fact that like we did get scenes with Daenerys and Sansa, which I think were some of the best of the season, because yeah. Sansa, <laughs> turns out, is an extremely practical thinker and quite a good ruler who is very invested in protecting her people. Like before anything, she always puts the Northmen first. And to see her and Danny kind of sparring really put Daenerys' whole plan into a different perspective. And I think the same would have been true with Danny and Cersei. And it, with, with the most frustrating thing with all that, too, is that you've got these three extremely powerful women, all of whom are very good at doing what they're doing, right? They're very good at like at, at ruling, at leading, at conquering, whatever they're trying to do, Cersei, Danny, and Sansa. And then you have a conversation with Varys and Tyrion, and they're just like, God, there is really no one to lead us but Jon Snow. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? He screamed at a dragon. That's the last thing that I've seen him do. And I just like, I don't understand why he's the only one left. And then like insult to injury, it's like, never mind, actually Bran. Bran Stark has the best story here. With so Arya literally sitting right next to him. <laughs> right next to him. So you've got, yeah, I mean, like, the you've got three women. I mean, even Yara, even Bran, four women there who all have really interesting, bizarre, crazy, 
insane, amazing, triumphant stories. And they're like, there's no choice but Bran. <laughs> there's no choice but Bran. For he has a penis. It doesn't right. work. But Bran, but Bran, with his non-functional penis, will lead us into the future. He, he calls it a mayad egg. There was so much about that where it's like uh, Robert Baratheon didn't have any legit, legitimate children, which was a problem. Daenerys could not have any children. That was a problem. Bran can't have children. No, that's actually a good thing. What? Yeah. Like, totally what? <laughs> no, but it's okay because you see Daenerys was crazy and didn't care about people, whereas Bran... Well, he doesn't care about people so much, but <laughs> he's not, he's not, well, he, oh God, is he crazy? It's hard to say, but not in an over the top way, like in a mellow kind of like, maybe there's people in his fridge kind of way. <laughs> I mean, what was interesting too is like, so if the point was, if Sam was bringing up the point of like democracy and that the, the people should be considered, um, and they're also talking about great houses of Westeros. So you've got Robert Baratheon's son, sitting right there as the leader of Storm's End. And he's a commoner who's been made into a lord. Now that seems like a pretty good person that might have the compassion needed <laughs> to rule Westeros. I don't know. Also, he's really good at making steel things and Valyrian swords in case anyone needs them again. But it's just kind of like there were so many <laughs> other options just within that council that I just <laughs> He also loves bashing people's brains out with his axe, but that's neither here nor there. Well, I mean, you gotta have that sometimes in a leader. Well, if you were if you were to tell me that they shot a bunch of different like like Tyrion saying, and Arya is the one who should lead us, and Gendry is the one who should lead, like like sort of like they did with Lost, where like who's in the coffin, and they put different people in the coffin so that you wouldn't know who was in the coffin. That I if you told me that in Game of Thrones, they're like, oh yeah, we have a bunch of other scenes of Tyrion just to throw people off, and then we aired the wrong. One, uh, <laughs> I I believe that. Oh my god! Yeah, it didn't. I didn't understand. Like, I guess I was sitting there waiting for them. Like, I thought he was talking about Sansa, and then it was like, oh, it's Bran. And I was like, Bran? And then I was like, oh, I, Her? I, okay. Like, I guess. Yeah, that's where I made the May and egg joke. Um, or she puts uh, what is it, mayonnaise and a boiled egg in her mouth and shakes it together. <laughs> <laughs> she calls it a manic. Oh, God. Uh, but I was like, I mean, and then like as he was talking, I was like, I mean, I don't think Bran has the best story, but like, I guess it would be nice to have someone who's not going to get like hot headed or whatever. Cut to like him showing up at the small council for all of like 10 seconds. And he's like, I'm going to go work now. <laughs> like doesn't care. So like, what was the point of that? Of To have well, he's a, a, he's a leader who, first of all, can work into any human that's sitting there and any dragon or any creature that he so desires and have absolute power over them. Uh, number two, he has a network of werewoods all over Westeros. So he's It's like a, it's become a surveillance state. Out of <laughs> nowhere, and so it's like, like is Bran a good ruler? Like maybe he is sort of detached in some ways, but I just keep thinking about this post on Reddit a couple weeks ago when everybody was really turning up the theories. You know, at the very beginning of this season, what was going to happen? It was like this three thousand word post, and at the end, it was just like, bottom line, those trees are up to some shit, <laughs> and it turns out <laughs> they were. Really? And we didn't even see a werewood in the end. We didn't even get a werewood in the last episode. Like, oh, God, I don't know. It's if you, just... Yeah, I, I easily believe that Benioff and Weiss are all about, like, Zuckerberg should run for president. We just need, like, a technocrat who doesn't really, who's kind of on the spectrum and doesn't really care about people but has solutions. Elon uh. Musk would also be good. <laughs> well, to me, it, it, 
it felt like uh, their excuse of having it both ways of like putting a Stark on the throne, but he's really not on the throne. Really, it's Tyrion, and they're like, oh yeah, the fans are gonna love this because the fans love Tyrion. So like Tyrion is basically king now. Oh yeah, gonna love. I mean, once Sansa liberated the North, the Starks are no longer a part of Westeros. So why would any of the lords be okay with a Stark on the Iron Throne? Like it just does. Like that was the thing. Like, and I. You know, how I is it a long-term that... solution? What happens when he dies? Or how do you prevent him from being poisoned? Like the last, <laughs> like how do you prevent any of this? What did you solve? <laughs> <laughs> it's a short-term solution that has no, and that's the thing about Game of Thrones. I thought because all the, the spinoffs, as far as we are aware, are prequels. So I was like, whatever they do in this finale, it's going to feel final. It's going to feel like there aren't any stories. There are obviously always going to be stories to tell. But the main the thing that we've been following, this jockeying for position, this quote-unquote Game of Thrones that we have watched this whole many years, better part of a decade, that was going to somehow be fundamentally broken and fundamentally changed so that there was like a new dawn of some kind. It might have been a dark one, you know, like if the Night King had <laughs> prevailed and sat on the throne, like fine, but it would have to be fundamentally different because otherwise, you, why wouldn't you not have another season? Because we, you ju- they just set up a country in chaos that is being ruled by someone who is not even there half the time and who is just like, like you said, Matt, there's no plan for succession. There's no suggestion that any of these lords who we have, who we don't even know are actually going to work together to pick another monarch after this. Like it just opens up an entirely new story. Like nothing about it felt final and nothing about it felt like with all the dragons and zombies and everything, it was at the end, it was sort of like, well, Things are just pretty much how they were. So it, it felt more like a season finale than a series finale, especially in the realm of Game of Thrones. It did, like you said, it didn't feel different from any Game of Thrones finale. It's like, well, I guess we're going to follow Arya going off west and see what she's doing. And Arya on a ship to places unknown. Haven't seen that in a season finale before. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what's Jon Snow going to find north of the Wall? I was, I was kind of holding my breath to see, like, are they going to bring the White Walkers? back like at the very end so is he gonna find some ice zombie out there like, i mean it, there was no discussion of that they don't seem that bothered honestly by any of the whites or the white walkers or anything like they once they were dispatched of they didn't really talk about it much before they were there and then once they were gone they're like well you know it's know. almost but, as if they as if they write the characters expecting audiences to fill in the blanks <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know there was nothing I think you're really right about that. There was nothing final about it. And even when you set Bran as king, it doesn't break the wheel. It doesn't change the way that things are going. So you could very easily just see another season. And then it's like, oh, like, you know, hot. What's his face over, you know, the, the boy who was suckling on his mom's. Oh, the, the glow up of Robin Aaron. <laughs> yes. Yes. Robin Aaron, who is. Milk did uh, that body good. <laughs> Uh, but you could totally see him being like vying for the throne, or maybe the Edward veil Tully. is one of the most powerful parts of what. Like it's an impenetrable castle, which, by the way, could have been helpful a couple different times in this story. Yeah, um, the Iron Islands. Like, why would they not rebel against? Like, Yara was completely a Daenerys girl. Why would she suddenly just be like, "Yeah, I'm behind Bran Stark now"? Like, what? Yeah. It, it, it. Yeah. Which maybe is the point. I mean, it's open to a ton of fan fiction now, and you know, if George R. R. Martin, <laughs> just which George R. R. Martin, Martin fucking hates, well, watch hates it. Watch fan him fiction. 
watch him now just start writing like spin-off novels following like Arya after the show instead of finishing his <laughs> his own damn probably <laughs> but yeah there was nothing the more I think about it there was absolutely nothing finite about this even John who like did the thing that he does where it's like you have to go here and do this thing and he's like okay and then he's like man I don't wanna I'm just gonna go with the wild things no one yeah can. and it I mean it if we wanted to, I mean, okay, George R. R. Martin has said, and it is very obvious, that his story, the politics of it, the bones of it, are based on the English Civil War, the War of the Roses. I mean, it's pretty, it's not one-to-one, but it's pretty darn close. If we wanted to watch a show about the War of the Roses, there's a really good anthology series on stars about it right now that I highly recommend. But this is not that show. Like, this is a show that is a fantasy version of that. And in the end, It wasn't. It was just literally like, and this is how the War of the Roses ended. And there will probably be more, because there always is. (laughs) It's kind of like, to me, the thing, like, the the scene of Bran being pushed out of the window, that was an important part of kind of what Game of Thrones, you know, kind of was to me. But the second scene that really stuck with me more than any other had one of the most visceral impacts on me. I stood up and was pointing at the screen like, yes, was the end of season seven when a zombie dude rides a zombie dragon and blows down an 8,000-year-old magical wall. It was the most metal fantasy thing that has ever happened on television. And I was just like, we are in for it now. <laughs> like This is where the show turns, just takes that turn from being just about the politics of like these little kingdoms and all their petty grievances and becomes something really epic, like Lord of the Ringsy, you know? Or... But no. Dealt with in one episode. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, because otherwise, when you take that away, yes, like it's still a, a valid show. It still has, you know, interesting character arcs and dynamics and everything. But it's not necessarily special. You know, it was the marriage of those two things that I think made it special. And to just get rid of that and in the end, just have like, yeah, like everything's normal except all the cool magical stuff is gone. I mean, there was yeah. <laughs> like, okay. They did not give a fuck about that mythology. After like some of the most like, not even like from a fan perspective, but like the show is telling you this is important when that uh, Night King brought that baby and like turned it into a White Walker. It was like, ooh, where's this going? Nowhere. Yeah. The, the first scene of the show and then also apparently not significant, the fact that direwolves and dragons, the two magical creatures that were thought to be extinct, both were introduced back into the world at the same time with two of the most powerful forces in Westeros, you know, in far that history. You've got dragons and Targaryens and direwolves and Starks, the Song of Ice and Fire. Like, it's all there. But I, well, I didn't matter. care about the dragons or the wolves, so, you know, whatever. It's fine. That's terrible. <laughs> it's, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, the direwolves were stupid. That is I'll the problem. say it. I'm Jokari's on you, Adam. I can't deal with that. <laughs> but that's another problem is the show didn't make you care about them because I guess ultimately it didn't care about them, you know. And maybe they don't matter, but it's just that just feels like a weird thing, you know, that just I guess I don't know. The 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 lack of fantasy in this last season, I think, was the thing that disappointed me more than anything. Because again, that to me personally, that's something that I felt was important, but evidently, you know, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So is there anything, I mean, I feel like we could keep going and going and going on Game of Thrones, but let's try to end things on a positive note and talk about shows that people should, should watch like 
finales that we did enjoy or, or shows. Well, that was it before we move on? Okay. Was there an episode of this season that either of you guys did like? No. Or was the whole season just shit? It was. There all, was... It was all a slog for me, man. There I was just, not. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, even like, I think the, the episode that people liked the most was A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. And even that one for me felt really like fan service. Like, oh, wouldn't it be nice, like, if all these characters had these moments? And I'm like, well, first off, it didn't really matter that they had these nice moments because most of them lived anyway. So who cares? But even if when you didn't know that, it would be like, so we're all just going to bury the hatchet. There are no simmering conflicts. Like, it just, it didn't pay off in the way that it needed to. So I, I just felt the season was was disappointing overall. See, I did. I, I liked that episode, and I that's what I was hoping for more of towards the end of the series, where uh, characters faced with certain doom, they're all going to die. Like again, like put Danny and Cersei in a room. Like when push comes to shove, what are they going to talk about? Like what are they going to say to each other? That's that's the aspect of Game of Thrones that I liked, and that's what I liked about that episode. I think for me, uh, there was no episode that was like unequivocally good. There was always something in it that I didn't like <laughs> or didn't, didn't sit right because it didn't make sense a lot of times. I didn't care for that episode so much because I agree with Matt that to me it just felt really fan servicey. Those, again, like the finale, those interactions should have meant so much. To see all of those people in a room together after eight years of waiting for them to even be in the same like section of the country – was immense and there should have been so much more given to that to make it feel like it was that weighted. But I actually, and I know it's the episode that I hate the most, maybe is the long night. And I'll tell you why, because <laughs> I had no problem seeing it on my TV. Number one, number two, it was the episode that, that felt like an end game to me, especially not the very end where Arya just like comes out. And it was a cool moment, you know, Arya killing the night King and the destruction of all the lore that we waited around for but that whatever you had some really nice character moments where things slowed down um and you had moments of redemption i'm still so angry that they cut the scene of sansa and Tyrion working together to fight whites in the crypt i mean that was a really important scene i would think but to me like the way that it was directed <clears throat> to feel like a horror movie at the beginning when you see like when those when the swords are lit and then they're, ex- I mean, there was dumb stuff in between. Like when Jorah had to stand there and everybody got a lip sword except for him. And he's just like, okay. I mean, it was stuff like that kind of pulled you out of it. But everyone got, these, you know, the Dothraki have these like flaming swords. They run off into the night and then they're all extinguished quietly. And there's just silence. I mean, there were so many cool moments like that that just really made you feel like this is going to be like the thing that really matters. It didn't. But in, at the time when I was experiencing it, that was the thing that made me really just feel like, like this is what it's been building to, um, and I, I think that uh, that Miguel Sapochnik did a really good job, despite the fact that people couldn't see it. Okay, but other than that, I think that the tension of that episode was just like off the charts. It was not boring for sure. His direction of the bells, I thought, was good too. The whole yes. the whole aria sequence, I thought, was really well directed. And I Definitely. will say there were a number of instances of the visual language of the show being broken this year that I thought were really interesting. They busted out some fisheye lenses, uh, especially during those first couple of episodes where the camera was moving in ways that it hadn't moved in seasons before. And this is kind of what I was talking about when I was saying that, like, 
you know, these past two seasons broke the rules of what Game of Thrones was in most ways bad, but this is a way that I thought was good. And in hindsight, I understand that those fisheye lenses were trying to get you to kind of understand the isolation of Danny um, and kind of her, uh, her loneliness uh, as everyone was kind of celebrating around uh, the table in Winter- Winterfell and stuff like that. So it was just her and her Starbucks cup, her and her Starbucks cup. Really, it was a, it was an, it was the most expensive production in HBO's history, folks. <laughs> Could not afford a script supervisor, but sure. Um, okay, so oh, do you guys want to move on to sort of things that are that are good? <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, Allison, what have you seen lately that that you want to recommend to the people? Well, <clears throat> we mentioned. Um, I don't know if we mentioned Barry. I'll let Adam talk more about that, but. Uh, both Barry and Veep pulled off season finales and for Veep, a series finale, which I thought were, they, they worked, they made sense. They put in the narrative work so that when the heel turns came or when the big reveals happened, you were so emotionally invested that you were just bereft or you were laughing or you were whatever. It was just, they stuck the landing in both cases. Um, And there's more Barry to come, which is a great thing. Uh, also, I referenced a great series about the English Civil War on stars. Well, it's called The Spanish Princess. It is the <laughs> third installment um, of this series. The first was The White Queen, and then The White Princess, and now The Spanish Princess. So essentially where uh, the show is in the story now is that Henry VIII, known as Harry at the time, um, is basically a teen. So he's we're not quite into Tudor's territory yet. But it's really giving time and space to the story of his relationship with his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, who's typically very ignored. But she came from one of the most, um, the strongest uh, monarchies and partnerships in Europe, in European history with Ferdinand and Isabella. And so her journey and how that ties into English history and this, frankly, Game of Thrones that these War of the Cousins have been having for 100 years is really, really good and really interesting. If you're interested in the politics of Game of Thrones and really investigating like the machinations and the murder and the who's behind this and how does this happen, that series absolutely delivers. Um, And I very highly recommend it. So uh, also, if you want to be completely devastated consistently every week when you watch a show, watch Chernobyl, also on HBO. Don't cancel your subscription yet. There's still some good stuff (laughs) there. Um, Chernobyl's excellent. Gentleman Jack is excellent. There are some really good TV shows. And, you know, Game of Thrones is fine in its own way, but um, because it was a cultural experience. But as far as, like, series that are really, really well-written and really delivering, even on a small scale, there's a lot to, uh, to consider. So... Don't cancel HBO yet. <laughs> Not just yet. Yeah, I did like that Westworld trailer. I thought that was a pretty cool reintroduction to. Yeah, it was interesting. It yeah. like I, I thought I was out after season two, and then they had to be like, "Well, what if the show is completely different?" I'm like, "Ah, you got me. Yeah. You got me, Westworld. Sign me up." Poor James Marston. Hey, James Marsden has the Sonic movie coming up. He's going to be just <laughs> fine. <laughs> That's true. So, Adam, do you want to talk about Barry for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Barry is just so much better than Game of Thrones, <laughs> to be honest. Like, Barry was kind of like sort of like saving me every week. Like, I could be like, as bad as this episode of Game of Thrones is, at least Barry is coming on afterwards. I get to watch Barry afterwards, and I know Barry's going to be awesome. And I was always right. <laughs> 
Well, and it's one of these shows that like it's billed as a half hour comedy, but it's not like girls where it's like, oh, it's more of a dramedy. Like it's just is like it's a half hour story every week and it's got drama. It's got dark drama. It's got really silly humor. It's got really dark humor. Um, But what I like the most about it is that it just like it pays so close attention to its characters, which is something that Game of Thrones (laughs) had not been doing. Um, And following those characters down paths that seem most logical, even when it uh, like goes to kind of devastating results. Um, And that was especially true in the second season, which I think was uh, quite a bit darker than season one, but still had incredibly funny moments. But it, it like in, in speaking to the truth of those characters, I feel like it, uh, it just made everything so much more emotional and so much more emotionally uh, in investing in, into those characters and into what was happening on screen. Um, like Barry made me tear up and cry more times this season than game of Thrones probably ever has. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because like the performances are tremendous. Uh, the writing is really great and the directing is really great. I mean, obviously Bill Hader that had that episode five that he directed, that was just kind of this crazy short film that was insane and funny and nutty. And then he directed the finale, which is super disturbing and dark and almost kind of like a psychological thriller slash like horror movie and worked really, really well. Um, and I'm not saying this just to pimp out my own work, but I will pimp out my own work. Um, How dare you? <laughs> I interviewed Bill Hader after every single episode this season. And one of the things I really enjoyed about those interviews was that he was very open and eager to reveal the creative process and reveal all of the bad routes that they went down first. So he wasn't pretending like this show is always perfect and the right idea always comes at the right time. He would talk about how, you know, they tried to go the, down this one story path or they had a huge fight about, like there was one story point in the season finale that they had a big fight about in the writer's room about whether or not it was too Breaking Bad and too explicitly like Breaking Bad and how they came around to um, kind of deciding to do it anyway um, and finding like better versions of things. Like he, they did reshoots for the season in March. They reshot like multiple scenes just to make sure that things were tracking and to make sure that the story made the best sense and the characters were making the best decisions. Uh, and I think that's just all up on screen there. Um, and it's just absolutely one of my favorite shows on. And a lot, a lot of you who were watching game of Thrones seem to have been tuning in because the ratings kind of skyrocketed after game of Thrones started. And I hope that you've been enjoying it as well. But if you haven't given Barry a shot, I highly suggest checking it out. It's absolutely one of the best shows on TV. Yeah, I, I don't care about the Emmys. I think the Emmys are kind of a joke. But that being said, if Ronnie Lilly doesn't win all the Emmys, yeah, <laughs> that episode was so amazing from start to finish. <laughs> I was just, I got w- one of the biggest laughs of the year was him walking into that room of Taekwondo trophies. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like for all the fun spectacle of Game of Thrones, and it is one, it's amazing. It's really amazing. We talked about these big episodes and everything. Like shows like Barry, shows like Fleabag on Amazon, they're doing amazing things in the smallest possible scale. There's not really like a, a term for for television like that's analogous to like an indie movie. But that's how Barry feels. That's how Fleabag feels. And they're telling these very, like, just experimental, beautiful, strange, crazy stories in very tiny nuggets of of time. Like, each episode is half an hour or less. You know, the whole season is, like, three hours long or four hours long. I mean, you can, it's, it's, it's as long as Endgame. You know, like, you could just sit and binge the whole thing. And it's it's just really incredible what's happening on the small scale, too, that that shouldn't get overlooked because it's really... I don't know. It's wonderful. 
Yeah. Well, and Game of Thrones was better when it was small scale. It was. That's right. Yeah. When they got a bigger budget, it got a little more upsetting. Well, they kept they. I think you know, Hard Home will probably go down as one of the most influential episodes of Game of Thrones because it's yeah. like, it was one of the best. It is, I still think it is one of the best episodes, but I think mm-hmm. it. I think it made them think like, oh, people want these really insane spectacle battles, and I'm like, well, that's not what we really signed up for. <laughs> but you can have you can, and then I think I still think the Long Night is a decent balance of that when you come to a final season like this, you know, a decent balance of like character moment and spectacle. But then as it went on, obviously they dropped the character moments in favor of spectacle, and not just spectacle, but but just speed. Frankly, that's really the end of it. Like the spectacle is not bad in and of itself. It's it's some of the most ambitious television that we've ever seen. It's the fact that the storytelling dropped off because they wanted to go fast and get it over with for whatever reason we don't know. So, alas, alas, I did the the medals part of Barry though, where where he turns around and the camera reveals there's medals on the opposite side of the, side of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got medals too. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? Oh, so good. So good. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, we do have some sad news to share at the end of this episode, which is that our beloved TV editor, Allison Keene, is sailing west to see what is west of Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> I hear there's something out there. I'm not um, sure what it is. But we have, we have been so grateful to have Allison part of Collider. Uh, since 2011 and, and just really building up the site to a whole new level and, and taking our TV coverage to so many great places. And I still remember reading uh, your Breaking Bad and uh, Mad Men recaps and <laughs> just oh all great gosh, stuff. So long ago. So and long actually, ago. Yeah, behind the scenes info, um, I came on with Collider because Matt and I met doing a lost podcast uh, for an all weekly here in Atlanta. Like a hundred years ago. Yes. <laughs> so we were complaining about Lost even then. Um, and look where it's led. Look, look how far we've come. <laughs> it come Georgia R. Martin would appreciate this because we've come full circle. <laughs> we've come full circle. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I am leaving Collider um, and more announcements will be uh, coming about that very soon and possibly by the time this has uh, come out. But I am just really grateful to have been a part of this of Collider's story over this last decade. And, uh, you know, it's just been, it has been a journey. The game, the the poetry of this happening at sort of the end of Game of Thrones (laughs) is also not lost on me. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, I am am Arya setting sail right now. And uh, I I will try not to wear any of your faces in the future. Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Would literally not be what it is today without uh, Allison. She means more than uh, anyone can ever know, yeah. uh, and it's very sad. And yes. we wish her all the best. All the best. And she is never allowed to come back on this podcast again. <laughs> Deuces, Jakarta. <laughs> We're burning that bridge. <laughs> well, thank you all for also having me on the podcast all throughout the years. This has always been so much fun um, to dive in and. Uh, both complain and also talk really passionately and excitedly about all the TV that we've been watching. Cause there is so much and so much that is good. So. Yes. Well, we hope would say too much. We hope to have Someone. you on again in the future, even though you will, you will not be with Collider. We still, we value your opinions and uh, we love talking TV with you. 
Thanks, guys. All right. So if you want to keep up with this podcast um, or the people on this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Allison, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Keen TV. That's K-E-E-N-E TV. Uh, and you, Adam, where can people find you? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next time.